Support for The Bittersweet Life comes from our listeners. We depend on you to pay for the enjoyment that you get listening to this show. For all the ideas you've gained, all the great authors you've spent time with, for the intimate adventure that we're on. This show isn't free. It comes with monthly costs for us and weekly time commitments that are as encompassing as a part-time job. If you love it, please pay for it. My thanks this week to our patrons at patreon.com. Your monthly commitment to us means extra episodes for you. Check it out. There's a link in the show notes. And a huge thank you to those of you who donate one time or monthly through PayPal using the donate button at our website. For monthly donors of $10 or more on PayPal, I will soon be getting you extra content as well. Thank you so much, especially some of you who have been with us since nearly the beginning. This week, I want to thank Tony and Danny. Your donation was so appreciated. Love the show? You listen free, that's true. But if you have the means, say thank you for all you've gained by listening, even if it was just a smile or a laugh. There are links in the show notes. Thank you. Thank you. Now, on with the show. Welcome to Rome. This is The Bittersweet Life with Katie Sewell and Tiffany Parks. Hello, this is The Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. And today, we are going to be looking at a newspaper article that was sent to me by my (laughs) (laughs) brother-in-law. I get a lot of articles about Rome uh, these days. Been doing this show for the last six years, and so anything that comes out about Rome, people usually send me. Mm. Uh, I have to mention ahead of time that my cat, Ding Dong, is on a bit of a tirade today, so we'll see if he also wants to participate in this discussion. But he's the chatty one. (laughs) Did I ever tell you that Aurelio loves the fact that your cat's name is Ding Dong? (laughs) (laughs) He He talks about him all the time. He's like, you know... Katie has a cat named Ding Dong. <laughs> it is a very charming name with kids. Yeah. Derek's brother's kid is, always says, and how's Ding Dong? You know, he never <laughs> asks about Sean. Nobody cares about Sean. Well, I'm t- I guarantee you people would ask about him if his name was Ho-Ho. Maybe. But Sean Dong is a pretty great name, too, because we've now decided <laughs> that the Dong is the last name. So it's Ding and Ding and Sean Dong. The Dong brothers. <laughs> That's good. Okay, Sean Dong I can handle. Sean Dong, yeah. I like Ho-Ho better. It just goes so well with Ding Dong. That's true. So the article we're going to talk about today is from Esquire magazine. It's written by a man named Ben Munster. And the heading is, Things are not as expected inside Rome's new normal. A journey through Italy's capital city one month after its lockdown ended. And this was released on July 13th. So it's it's a few weeks old, but... We're going to look at it anyway. Yeah. Where do you want to start? Because when I was reading this, I pulled out various spots that I thought I wanted uh, your take on since you're also there and say, really, is this what you're saying? Yeah, I I don't want to give too much away, but I was I was scratching my head the entire article. I was like, is this does he live? Does he mean Rome, Italy? Because anyway, why don't you start and read some of the stuff that you you felt was off so that our listeners know what we're talking about? So, I mean, he kind of has two different things. He talks about the police and he talks about what the young people are doing. Those are sort of the two focuses. I was going to start with the police, but maybe we'll start with what the young people are doing. Okay. Okay. So who exactly is going out? This is from the article. 
It became clear a couple of weeks ago when I went to a newly reopened heavy metal bar just at the foot of the Janiculum Hill. We're going to need to see your documenti, the bartender said. Sorry for the pronunciation. He laid out two chairs for us and placed himself opposite under a flickering bulb like an interrogator. The documenti, he explained, would provide identifying details for contact tracing purposes in the event that the bar became the site of some sort of super spreader event. Except there was no way a super spreader event wouldn't have occurred in that place if there was even a whiff of COVID in the air that night. The bar was crammed with teenagers, around 50 of them, fresh from a Thursday of Zoom schooling, ordering rounds of six and seven shots and smoking and laughing uproariously. And then, but I'll skip a little bit. The city is overrun with school kids roving around in huge groups, drunk off booze they're legally allowed to buy. Well, I mean, I can't, I can't say I disagree with that part, actually. The city is full of, of young people, but I wouldn't say it's all teenagers. I would say all through the, their 20s. I mean, the, okay, first of all, I need to preface this by saying I do not go out every other night, as our listeners know. Um, yes. So I may not have a window into Rome's nightlife the way that this guy has. But the times that I've been out, I mean, one time I went out, I was really shocked to see chaos in Piazza Trilusa. And that was mostly young people. I don't know that they were all teenagers. I would say maybe between 15 and 30, you know, which is a pretty wide age group. And there were people older than that. There were definitely plenty of people older than that. It just seemed crowded, period. It just seemed like lots of people were out and particularly young people. But in this article, and we can't read the whole thing, obviously, it's a very long article, but he makes it sound like it's only young people who are out and that older people or people in their 30s even are not going out and are kind of like terrified and living in fear constantly. And I mean, I'm sure there are those people out there, but I just don't feel like it's, only the young people. From the times that I've gone out, I've seen lots of people from different age groups and from different socioeconomic backgrounds. We tried to go to a very, very posh bar one night on a rooftop because we wanted to have a nice night out. I'm not sure if it was, if it was Claudio's birthday or around there. And we wanted to go to a rooftop terrace in the center of town right by Piazza Navona. It was at least a month ago. We were still really just coming out of this. It was only maybe a month after the lockdown had lifted in mid-late May. There's no tourists in the city. And I just thought, you know, we'll just rock up there. And I, mean, I called in advance when we were in the car. I was like, okay, you know, we'd like table for two. And they're like, no, 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 we're full. Oh, okay. And that's not a teenager's place. That is not a place that only the teenagers are going. I happened to call another place a little less fancy, but same sort of thing, a rooftop terrace, also full. And this was a Saturday night, but it was a Saturday night a month after full quarantine lifted. Hmm. We ended up somewhere in the center near Piazza Navona, Piazza del Figo, and lots of people were out, and not, not just teenagers. Plenty of people in their 30s and 40s were out. It wasn't as packed as over on Piazza Trilusa and Ponte Sisto, where the, the younger people are. That was the same night. We, just, we happened to move around a lot, but it was busy. I'm not sure if you want to read the part at the beginning of the article where he talks about the police officers and, you know, more of the documenti stuff. Yeah. Yes, I think we should read that. But I also just want to say, you know, with the heading of this being Rome's new normal, from living in Trastevere, my memory serves, it's always the teenagers and the young people 
traipsing around the streets being super loud at one, two, three in the morning. I mean, it's not unusual for Rome to be, if you live in the center, to be woken up at night by teenagers yelling. I mean, that just sort of seems to be a part of it. <laughs> That's specifically a Trastevere thing. It's not because they live there. They go there. Trastevere is a neighborhood that's popular with teenagers right. and with people in their early 20s. But this article is based in Trastevere. <laughs> it, everywhere he uses as an example, with the exception of that he calls people in other cities. Uh, yeah. His old yeah. young people bar, the heavy metal bar, Cafe St. Callisto or whatever else yeah. he cites. You know, places that only the teens... <laughs> like, I wouldn't set foot in some of those places just because yeah. they're chaos. Mm-hmm. They're chaos on a non-COVID night, and I believe that they'd be even more so once people are sick of being locked down. Well, that's that's a good point. And I think that that's why this article is not very, uh, I mean, no offense to the writer, but it, it doesn't seem well-researched because it is so focused on this one tiny microcosm of Rome, and Rome is a big city. And there, Rome is a big city. Even the center of Rome is a lot bigger than Trastevere. But then you get into the, the outskirts where there's, there's lots of stuff, there's lots of different realities going on in the outskirts as well. But one thing, the, the fact that he talks about, you know, constantly getting asked for his documenti, like there's a line at the very end, which we don't necessarily need to read this part, but he's basically like, I don't know where he's sitting, um, in Santa Maria in Trastevere, I think, in the piazza. And some cop pulls up. Yeah, do you want me to read it to you? Sure, you might as well. Okay, because it's short. Recently, as I sat in the shadow of the Basilica de Santa Maria in Trastevere, a pair of officers strolled up to me. Had I sneezed unduly? Was I inappropriately distanced? Ah, no. It was just a standard identity card checkup. Horribly inconvenient, pointless, and annoying, just like the good old days. Okay, so he talks in the beginning of the article about how, you know, pre-COVID, there were always police milling around anyway, checking documents and trying to like, you know, throw their weight around and stuff. But since then, now that it's the COVID thing, they have all these other new regulations that they get to enforce. I'll get to that aspect of it later. But the thing is, this is what, when I got to the end, I was like, oh, I get it. This guy is, I mean... I don't know. I don't know him. I don't know what he looks like. I've never met him, but I've lived in Rome for 16 years and I used to have a very, very active social life in Trastevere and I never once got asked for my uh, documenti. It's not a common thing. Not for most people. I think that he, I mean, how do I put this politely? He must, (laughs) (laughs) it's not about race. It's about Maybe what you are wearing, what you are doing, maybe what time of night you are out. I mean, maybe he's out at 3 a.m. I don't know. Maybe he's drunk. Again, I am totally speculating. I do not know this person, and he's going to probably write to us and be like, hey, (laughs) I'm a good guy. And, you know, maybe he is, but I just feel like he just harps so much about the police and all of their, how the city is overrun by police and teenagers. And that's the only people out and all the respectable people like the Italian teacher and, and others are home terrified, shaking in their boots because they're so scared of getting sick. I don't see that. I don't see any of that. The only thing I see that he says is yes, teenagers are out and they're having a good time. And Hey, I don't really blame those kids because they were stuck, not just stuck at home but not even able to take a walk more than around the block not able to see one friend not even socially distanced 
for like three months. And a lot of those kids, you know, it was their senior year in high school and all of the parties and stuff that they're supposed to do, they were canceled, you know. So I get it. I feel bad for those kids. And I understand. I don't necessarily condone, but I understand what they're doing. Uh, But this police presence, yeah, during the lockdown, for sure, there was a major police presence. It was a big deal. We talked about it a lot on this show. And they were stopping people, and they stopped our neighbor because he was out with both of his little daughters on their bikes right outside their apartment, and he should have only had one of his daughters out. Okay, now explain to me what he would have done if he'd been a single parent and Mm -hmm. his wife, you know, he didn't have another parent home to take care of the other kid. So yeah, it was bad. It was bad back then. And I think that there was a sort of sense of, oh, I kind of get why this country fell into fascism. I can see it. I can see it in the mentality. I can see that these police kind of like are like, hey, we just have all these new powers. This is fantastic. We can like start to tell people what to do. And neighbors were starting to spy on their neighbors. (laughs) Wow. People, yeah, people were, yeah, in our building, we had somebody call the police because there were a couple of kids playing in the courtyard. By themselves, like they were, they were not playing with any other kids, but they were down in the court. And we have a huge courtyard in our building. And so we actually had the police come into our courtyard and check it out. And, and I had a friend who said that people in her building were like constantly calling the police every time they saw someone doing something wrong. So you can kind of get it. You can kind of get the mentality that would cause something like that. But I think in regular times, and I'm I don't know how to say this, but it seems like, to me, it seems like we're back in regular times. Lucky. I feel like every week I'm going to say that. Lucky? Aww. I don't mean to say that to show off. I know you don't. I really don't. I'm just saying you're lucky because you are lucky. Yeah. Excuse me, ding dong. Jeez. Sorry, ding dong. <laughs> screwing with my microphone. Will you stop? Okay. But besides the masks, and they are very, very strict about masks here. That's one thing that they're pretty strict about. Everything else seems totally normal. People don't shake hands as much as they used to. They don't kiss as much as they used to. They hug as much as they used to? I would say not as much, but, you know, I saw a friend the other day and I gave her a hug. We had masks on, but I, gave, I did give her a hug. It, had been, it was someone I used to see constantly and I hadn't seen her in months. I couldn't help myself. I had a, my writing group with last night and, of course, it's online now. Yeah. But it was funny because one of the guys in the writing group said... I don't know about you guys, but I'm to the point that if we were all in the same room, I would hug you. I would hug you. I would hug you. <laughs> He's like, I just don't even care anymore. <laughs> no, I do care, but I want to hug everybody. I'm so tired of being by myself. Oh my God. I can't even, I can't even imagine. Yeah. Um, so that's what I wanted to say about this article. It felt like it was extreme. Mm. He, he just went to the extremes I'm like, what city are you living in? Because I don't see the police constantly. Just maybe those first few weeks, like between May 4th, when the city, you could go out, but you had to have a reason. Um, not just a medical reason, but you had to like be like, I'm going to, you know. The pharmacy. No, but I mean, the pharmacy and the, and, the, and the grocery store were always allowed. But after May 4th, like you could go to a bookshop. Oh, yeah, yeah. There were more things that you could do. You could, um, you could go to your office even if it wasn't a non-essential office. So you could do more stuff. You could take a walk. You couldn't do everything, but you could finally get out. That period, I felt like, yeah, there were a lot of police around. I told a story on our show months back about how they fined an Italian journalist a lot of money because her mask broke, which I think was ridiculous. But once May 18th rolled around and phase two has officially started and they started opening restaurants slowly and they started opening bars slowly and shops. I just don't see this police presence. 
Also, there's another part in the article where he seems, he says he was baffled by the fact that the cops during the Black Lives Matter protest did not intervene in any way. Mm -hmm. Italian cops don't as a rule, intervene in protests, if they're peaceful protests. Even if they're, like, mildly violent, they're very tranquil. They do not escalate at all. I saw videos, I, you know, we talked to Amy on a bittersweet moment a few weeks back. She was there. It was totally, totally peaceful protest, and everybody was wearing masks. There was no reason that Italian police would have gotten involved. So it seems, you know, and this whole thing about, like, police telling you to social distance from each other. I don't know where he's getting that. I don't, I don't, I just don't see it. I don't, I don't see it. I mean, he could have seen it at some point. Maybe he saw it at some point. Interest of it one night, it got so out of hand that people were basically in a rave type situation, (laughs) a pig pile type situation, then maybe. But I mean, I was in Piazza del Fico and there were tons of people. It wasn't crowded the way that Piazza Trilusa was crowded that night. But there were tons of people hanging around, talking close to each other. People are dining indoors. I mean, I'm sorry, the tables are not that far apart. They're a little bit further apart, but they're not that far apart. And I don't see any police doing or saying anything. Hmm. It, could be a, it could be an example of when Derek says things to me like, you know, just because that was your experience doesn't mean that that's what's going on. <laughs> well, <laughs> you know, it's sort of that like, because I saw this happen once. This is the trend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I say that not knowing, but I think as a journalist and even as a human, that's something that you have to watch out for. That's true. Because I'm definitely a person who experiences the world often through my lived experience of it. Well, we all do, don't we? Of course, of course. But there are, there are people like certain journalists that are more objective. They don't make a generalization based on their own personal experience. And there are some journalists that do. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that this guy is that way, but it, you know, maybe he sees it every night. I don't know. Maybe. We're both not there at night, so we don't know. I mean, I am occasionally. I am. Occasionally. We go out probably every other weekend, I would say. I have a different question for you, actually. You said, uh, one thing I thought was interesting is you said that you know a bunch of the people he interviewed in this article, which, <laughs> well, it's always kind of fascinating when that happens. I was reading the New York Times a couple weeks ago and sure enough linda and uh steve from the beehive were quoted in it and it was just awesome it was like seeing a, a friend you know surprisingly on the street mm-hmm. <laughs> oh hi guys you know like that um the beehive is a hostel in rome for those of you who are just joining us but yeah so who are these people and what do you know of them well, when I say I know them, that's an exaggeration. I Social media know them. Sometimes you feel like you know people because you follow them and interact with them on social media, but you've never actually met them in real life. So I don't actually know them. But uh, in the article, he mentions an Italian teacher named Lucrezia Odone, who lives in Rome, and a journalist. I believe she's British, but I, I can't promise you that. She might be American. She's either British or American journalist who lives in Bari in the south of Italy, named Claire Speak. So I know, quote, quote unquote, know Claire through Twitter, and I quote unquote know Lucrezia through Instagram, but I don't know them personally. I mean, we're not friends. We've never had actual conversations. We've only just commented on each other's posts and things like that. Mm-hmm. So it's not like a Steve and Linda situation where they're your actual friends. But when you talk about seeing the world through your lived experience, I'm sure I'm the same. And In the article, Lucrezia talks about how, or she's quoted, to say that she doesn't really like to go out 
even though, you know, the lockdown is over, it makes her sad. Things are changed. She feels like the city is too different. And now she's an Italian. She's, I believe, from Rome. You know, so she's obviously got a different perception of the city. She's got a longer term perception of the city. She's been here her whole life. But I just, I had a hard time identifying with that because, man, like as soon as the city opened, I was like, this is awesome. You know, the (laughs) city is empty. There's no tourists. Like all you have to do is follow my social media feed to know like how into that I was. And I mean, I'm not saying that I didn't also feel the bittersweet aspect of that. The tourism Mm-hmm. major tourism problems and tourism for and problems for lots of businesses, uh, including myself, including my own work. And also just the fact that the reason why it happened is so tragic. So I'm not making light of that, but nothing about it made me sad. You know, and I have to, I have to remind myself of this sometimes because I, I am such a uh, optimist and such a, mm-hmm. you know, I see the positive aspect of everything almost that I think that can be, I don't know, offensive, if that's a strong, very strong word, but maybe a little bit insensitive to some people who are really suffering and who are maybe more sensitive than I am. One of the things I discovered about myself in this period is that I'm really not as sensitive as I thought I was. And I don't mean sensitive in the sense that like, I don't care about other people or things like that. When I say sensitive, I mean like in the physical sense, like I won't notice something that other people will notice maybe especially in a negative sense like the plexiglass that they put up yeah i think she mentions someone mentions in the article there's oh there's plexiglass in front of the cashiers now like i don't even register stuff like that i just don't and if i do register it i register it sort of without caring yeah it just doesn't bother me is that because it's just the way that things have to be right now I don't even think it's that. I just feel like I'm like, okay, whatever. It's a new thing. Things are just, I don't know. Things change. Things are different. Things change. Then things change back. Even the mask thing, whatever. It's, it's just doesn't, the mask thing, maybe a little bit more. The mask thing is a little bit more of a, of a hard thing to, to get used to. Not really. The thing I think is the hardest to get used to about it is when you're heading off to an appointment or something and you realize halfway there that you don't have it with you, <laughs> you know, and then you're like, ah, yeah, uh, got to go back. And yes, when it's a really hot day yeah, and you're sitting around talking to people outdoors and you're wearing masks all the time, your face gets all sweaty. It limits the time that you hang out in anywhere because it's, it's hot or it's uncomfortable or whatever, or it's fogging up your glasses. Mm-hmm. But really walking around with on on, it's not like you think about it at every moment either. It's just, you know, eventually you forget it's even there. <laughs> or don't forget, but, you know. I'm not sitting here saying, oh, masks, wearing masks is such a huge hassle. It's, you know, it's, I'm no. fine with it. But I, I guess, know, I'm not saying you are. Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, <laughs> I've just noticed that in other ways that I, I, I don't seem to be as affected by things as other people sometimes are. And I, I guess that's a good thing. But it surprised me because I always thought I was a very sensitive person. Hmm. And I think I'm less sensitive than I thought. Seeing the city empty, seeing... Obviously, it's it's sad to see the shops that are still closed or the shops with signs in the windows saying that they're for sale. That is a tragedy because every single one of those, you know, most of the time, obviously some are going to be chains and stuff like that. But most of the time, that's somebody's baby. That's somebody's heart and soul that they put into that. So I'm not saying that I don't I don't feel that that's a loss. I guess I just... The whole of it, it's less 
hard for me to deal with. Sure. And so it was surprising to me when I read her account of how much it depressed her to go out into the city because it's just not the, that way for me. But then people are different and people deal with things differently. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I'm curious over here in Seattle where we're, I don't know, what phase are we in? Phase two, heading back toward phase one. Not sure. <laughs> supposed to be staying home as much as possible. We have a running list going of the different things that are going out of business. A person keeps a blog up called Vanishing Seattle. They also write about it in various newspapers. And to be fair, Vanishing Seattle existed long before the pandemic. But I think everybody has those favorite spots that they're keeping an eye on and being like, okay, please, Hattie's hat, please don't shut down during this pandemic. Oh, Hattie's you hat. Hattie's hat? We have some of our photos are from Hattie's hat. Yeah, I love Hattie's hat. It's one of the oldest dive restaurant bars in the neighborhood of Ballard in Seattle. They call themselves Ballard's Last Stand because Ballard's gotten so hip since the last few years. But every now and then you'll hear one that's closed and Derek will just read me like the death toll list. He'll say, oh. The college in and the university district just shut down. Oh, that's part of our 20s. Oh, I guess we'll never get to go there again. That's too bad. So I don't know if are they doing anything equivalent like that in Rome or no. I haven't seen anything like that. I don't think that it exists, although who knows? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure every city has the same sort of sort of thing going on. It's it's sad. Yeah. Seattle's got a lot of celebrity chefs, too, and... One of our biggest ones, Tom Douglas, who had, I don't even know, 9, 10, 12 restaurants, something like that. At the very beginning of this crisis, when the lockdown first occurred in March, announced that he was shutting all of them down and probably not reopening any of them but one. Huh. I don't remember the details, but it was something like when you're that extended, like you have that many restaurants. And he was very popular. But with all the staffing, with all the rents, he was going to be losing like over a million dollars a month. Oh my goodness. having it shut. Yeah, yeah. So it was like immediate, you gotta get out. Yeah. Right away. So we had a huge bunch of things like that atrophy right at the beginning. And now it's just like the old strongholds that are, you know. Yeah. The ones that can't do takeout, the ones that have no outdoor seating, they're going down. So here's something that has changed in Rome, speaking of outdoor seating. So Rome, pre-COVID, has these sort of very strict rules on which restaurants get to have outdoor seating. Mm. It's definitely something that you have to pay for. And even if you pay for it, you don't always get it. Some places they just won't allow it. Depends on the street. I mean, I'm sure there are some kind of weird draconian reason behind it. Sometimes it seems completely random. Anyway, it's always like, you know, you're crunched up against the edge of the building usually. Now they have abandoned it and they're letting people, they're letting restaurants put tables out onto the street and into piazzas. And it's really lovely because it's a temporary thing, right? So they can't build like a terrace, like a gated off area, which is what really makes those things look bad. Sometimes when you see a restaurant where they have the permission, they take over. They have like a roof over it. So in case it rains, sometimes they've got like a plastified roof over it. And it just becomes so touristy and so uncute. Obviously, they're not doing that. Um, do you know Piazza di Pietra? 
It's the piazza near, it's sort of near the Pantheon. It has Hadrian's temple uh, as a backdrop with the columns that are all lit up. So that square has never had any seating in it. Whatever reason, it's just not been granted to the places that are there. And there's really only one restaurant there. There's a very popular cocktail bar. And then there's this little restaurant that's very simple. It's not a fancy place. It's, I would say, like middle of the road. And I saw a picture on someone's Instagram and they had like these tables, very sparse, you know, not very close together, but but beautifully spilling out into this gorgeous piazza with this beautiful ancient backdrop. And I'm just like, man, these are the positives that we have to focus on because how beautiful is this? In Seattle, they're, they have been shutting down certain streets that are usually streets that car, cars drive on, mm-hmm. shutting them down and not so restaurants can spill into them, but because so more people can walk outside and be farther apart. Oh, okay. They're often streets that are very popular around walking areas. And so if everyone has to be stuck on the sidewalk, they're going to have to pass real close to each other. Right. And so they're just shutting these streets down, in some cases temporarily. But in some cases, they did a temporary shutdown, and then they announced that they're never going to reopen it again. That's great. That's great if you're a pedestrian. (laughs) Yeah. Bikes can go through, but no cars anymore. And one of the streets they did it on was a street that I used to live on. Oh. Wow, that would have been something else. (laughs) That would have been so nice. Yeah. Uh, If the cars weren't going by all the time. But, oh, well, fair enough. Well, that's one of the positives. There are little positives. Maybe we should do a whole show sometime about the little positives yeah. of this thing because it's it's so easy, particularly if you live in the United States, to feel so negative about everything that's going on because there's so much fighting between people and the numbers just keep rising. And so it's very frustrating. So yes, maybe we should do some positives. So maybe if any of you listening have observed a positive outcome of some of this let us know. You can send us a voice memo or an email to bittersweetlife at mail.com. That's bittersweetlife at mail.com. Or just drop us a note on any of the socials, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Uh, just look for the Bittersweet Life podcast. Yeah. And I do think that, and I, and I fall into this trap myself, but I think we need to like not feel guilty about talking about the positive aspects of it. Myself personally, like whenever I, I feel like I want to mention something positive I always feel like I have to I have to qualify it and I mean I just did that while we were talking now yeah like we did in that episode a couple weeks ago about living alone in lockdown and how everybody we talked to had to qualified it ahead of time yeah first I want to say you know I have a place to live yeah because (laughs) yeah you don't want to sound like a jerk because you know somebody out there has it worse than you but the truth is no matter what is going on, even when there's not a global pandemic, there's always someone out there who has it worse than you. That doesn't mean that you don't have the right to complain too. And also, on the other hand, talk about the positive aspects. And and I said just a minute ago, and it's true, I have to be careful not to be insensitive because I do tend to be a little bit of a Pollyanna. And that can be hard sometimes if you're really, really going through something hard to hear someone be like, oh, this is great. I'm just going to go walk on down the Via Condotti empty. It's going to be fantastic. You know, obviously, I don't want to be that person. <laughs> but there are positives. I mean, this is a whole other thing we could talk about, about what it has been like for me to be on lockdown working with you every day. Oh, I'm every sorry. <laughs> because, because I probably am a little bit more negative, but also our experiences have been so different. And because we kind of treated our house like the Italy lockdown because we were like, well, if that's what they're doing, if that's what Italy's doing, then that's probably what we should be doing too. 
thinking that when you guys were free, we were going to be free right behind you. And, and, you know, obviously that's not been the case. We're in the top five countries around the world who have the most virus cases right now. In the top five. So You mean Washington State? No, no. The United States. I think it's number one. I don't know if it's number one, but it's in the top five. And also to our listeners in South Africa, sorry for you as well, because you guys are also in the top five. Yeah. So anyway, that's a whole nother topic for another day. But for now, let's focus on the prize ahead of a new episode. Send us your things that are the good things that have happened, the good things you've noticed, the good changes that have happened. And maybe we can do a Pollyanna show. We'll call the show Pollyanna. (laughs) (laughs) covid Pollyanna. <laughs> Final thought. I was listening to these comedians talk today on a podcast I like, and one of them said, you know, I miss the days when I used to mispronounce COVID. <laughs> <laughs> or when when you couldn't remember exactly what it was called. Yeah, I called it, I remember multiple times when it was very early on, I accidentally called it Corvid, like the crow. <laughs> Derek said, you cannot call it Corvid. You're a reporter on the radio (laughs) you're gonna slip it up because after a while i i kept catching myself doing it and i then i made it into a joke i'll just call it corbett 19 and he's like you can't get in the habit of that you're gonna say that on the radio i'll be embarrassed for you if you're not embarrassed yourself (laughs) well we shall leave it there send us your voice memos your thoughts your joys bittersweetlife at mail.com we will put the link to this article in the show notes. Apologies, Ben, in advance. Yeah, uh, I'm sorry if I was like totally making judgments about you. That I have no, I have no idea. Yes, if I'm right. Yes, and until next time, this is the Bittersweet Life. I'm Katie Sewell. I'm Tiffany Parks. Join us again. Bye. Thanks for listening. Our logo is designed by Jody Rick at the Lost Laboratory, with help from our muse Caravaggio. Lori Lee Elliott manages the Bittersweet Life on YouTube. We have a brand new newsletter. If you want to hear what we're reading and thinking about once a month, let us know by sending an email to bittersweetlife at mail.com, and we'll put you on the list. And some of you write us the most beautiful emails. If you haven't already, leave us a review as well on your podcast app. Your support is vital to the show, so whether you send in a financial contribution at thebittersweetlife.net or... Spread the word about the show to your friends or through your social media by writing an article or doing an interview with us. We appreciate your support. Thank you from the bottom of our hearts for keeping this show going. Take care. Be safe. Talk soon.